0: It was that really early being okay, showing up raw and showing up just as I was that gave me an opening and also empowered me to understand that showing up as you are is okay.
1: This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christiane Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. In our opening episode for Season 2, we speak with Change Navigator and Adventurer April Reiney about how we as individuals can reshape our relationship to change so that we can navigate especially the challenging parts of change better and become fit for a world in flux. April has written the amazing book Flux, Eight superpowers for thriving and constant change that is coming hot of the press these days. She's sharing with us her key messages that instead of getting anxious and paralyzed around change, we can take agency and embrace it joyfully. Now, with climate change, the pandemic and major global economic and societal change, we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to level up, she says, and explains us in this episode how we can achieve this. April is pointing out how much our relationship to change goes back to our own scripts that have been formed in our childhood. Was uncertainty back then dangerous, or was it an adventure for my curiosity? The eight superpowers in her book start to unpack a lot of these beliefs. Let go of the future in order to let a better future emerge, April says. Her plea for a courageous approach to change is particularly interesting in light of her biography. When April was 20 years old, she lost both of her parents in a car accident. I loved her wise thoughts on how important grieving was for her after this loss. And how this event shaped her lens through which she sees constant change in the world. Hello, April. Welcome at Before It's Too Late.
0: Thank you, Christiana. I'm happy, delighted to be here.
1: So am I. I'm so excited to have you as my guest today, April, because your book just came out called Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving and Constant Change. And when I was thinking about the title, I was thinking this woman seems to be like a superpower herself. When I was reading through, through your CV, your education, all the wonderful things you have created as a thought leader, but also always at the forefront of following unbeaten paths. So I'm really excited to talk to you about a meaningful life today April and I know that in your childhood and youth you had a very tragic event you lost your parents in a car accident when you were 20 years old would you mind sharing with us April what that meant for you at the time
0: Sure. And thank you for such a a warm, generous introduction, both to me, but also to our conversation. I appreciate it. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, losing both of my parents in a car accident when I was 20, and candidly, I had never had death touch me prior to that. I was extremely lucky. But I had never been to a funeral. My first funeral was theirs. I had never lost a pet. I was allergic to animals, so we couldn't have house pets and whatnot. But it was an interesting age. At the same time, because I was old enough, I was at college when it happened. So I was old enough to take care of myself on a day-to-day basis, but still young enough to not really have much sense of how the bigger world worked or my place in it, and. I do want to go back a little bit because how that experience and that one event or tragedy affected my life and how I found meaning moving forward does go back to kind of, I guess, the values and the environment within which I was raised. So both of my parents were educators. My dad was a cultural geographer, meaning that he studied the migratory patterns of animals and people and plants and all that sort of thing. And we didn't have a lot growing up. We didn't have a lot of physical, material possessions, but education and travel were the two things we were kind of allowed to spend money on, allowed to prioritize, and were very much prioritized by my parents. And so early on, there was a huge emphasis on the value of diversity and this sense that our differences are what make us really interesting as people. Not only on the one hand, you know, our similarities are greater than we think, but our differences, our diversity are what really make this planet worth celebrating That was what my dad would say. There was this sense that the more different someone was from you, the more interesting they were to get to know. But there was also this sense, because of just the nature of my upbringing, this sense that my career, whatever I decided to do, it couldn't be about me. It needed to be about service. It needed to be about helping other people, that my dad would also say, the fact that I Got an education and was a girl in today's world, like I was lucky. I was lucky to have that access. And because I'd been lucky, I had a responsibility to give back and to help those who weren't as fortunate. And again, it wasn't about material possessions, it was about just access to knowledge and information and so forth. And so I share this because when my parents died, I can't say that I knew what my meaning was at that point. And I didn't want to feel like I had the burden, so to speak, of my parents' legacy or that I had to do exactly what they would have wanted me to do because that's not necessarily helpful for a child either. But there was this sense of my meaning goes back to those core values. It goes back to celebrating diversity. It goes back to understanding better how the world works. And it goes back to How can I help others? And I think there's something really interesting in a loss like that because on the one hand, and it's true, like that was a huge blow. I lost a lot. I had to, you know, I I say that it was definitely my entry into flux in terms of whatever future I thought I was gonna have changed overnight. Whatever life I thought I was gonna have, it changed too. Like it was just everything flipped upside down. But at the same time, you start realizing a loss like that also makes you realize what you have to be grateful for. And it's not necessarily the material possessions and that sort of thing. It is really this sense of meaning and purpose. And so much of that was about how to help and serve others.
1: Wow. Thank you for introducing us to that big arch, you know, between when that happened and how it still somehow creates the core of your meaning today. And you were also telling me, April, about a grieving process that you perceived to be really healthy after the loss. Because I'm mentioning that because I think that's exactly what our society doesn't allow for anymore, grieving Mm -hmm. and the sadness. And I was really impressed when you were telling me that you did that grieving process. you went you went to therapy, you you became aware of the loss, and this is how you processed it. And I think that also may be added to the sustained substance of your meaning that you're still drawing from
0: today. Would you agree? Mm. What a beautiful way to frame that. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree. And And let me put a little bit more color and context around this, also building on actually what I was just saying, which is, you know, about this this age 20. I was 20, but I had, I had never experienced death before in terms of in my own life that close. I knew that loss happened in the world, but I had never, it had never been in my bones, so to speak. And there was something really interesting that it shook me so much to the core that two of the people who were closest to me, two, the two people that I, who were responsible for bringing me into the world, would just vanish like that. I mean, it, it shook me to my core. But what I realized, because at that point, something like that happens and you're, you're, you're 20, you're young, you don't, you don't really know how all these pieces fit together. That I was like, the only thing I'm going to do is show up fully. Like, basically, what do I have to lose? I've already lost so much. I am going to be raw. I am going to be candid. I am going to be fully in my grief. And I did that because I guess I could say I didn't know how else I was going to survive. I knew that if I tried to blanket over it or paper over it or pretend it didn't happen, I mean, that wasn't going to work. I had to rebuild my whole life. And plus, I had other people outside going like, whoa, that was a big loss. So like people are sort of pointing at me going like, are you okay? And I'm saying, no, I'm not okay. But I don't think that the way I'm going to get through this is to pretend that I am. And so I'm just going head first into what it means to grieve. And I use the analogy that, you know, I think it shows up often in society, this, this notion of like, I walked through the fire. The only way out is through. (laughs) I wasn't going to be able to get out of this. (laughs) And I knew deep down that if I pretended it hadn't happened or if I told everyone I was was okay, I knew well enough to know that that was going to come back to haunt me very badly over time. And that was just a sort of intuition. And I can now say many years later, it was that really early being okay showing up raw and showing up just as I was that gave me an opening and also empowered me to understand that showing up as you are is okay and that actually many years later and having experienced lots of different kinds of loss and with others and so forth over time that I deeply worry about across society when we feel like we can't show up fully when we are supposed to, quote unquote, grieve in a certain way, but not in another way. My whole thing is like, it's different for everybody, but you have got to be able, and as society, we've got to be able to hold one another as they show up just as they are and to, to witness whatever they're experiencing. Because when you go through the fire, you don't need to go back through it later on. You've done the hard work. It's when you try to skirt it, That then you will continue to have to revisit it and revisit it and revisit it throughout life, and it'll never quite, you'll never quite move forward or move through it.
1: I love what you're saying, April. That is so incredibly powerful and true. This also created your extraordinary mindset. And your mindset, again, created your book, your new book. So let's talk about your new book, Flux. Eight Superpowers for Thriving and Constant Change, which is published very timely, I would say. Tell us more about it.
0: Yeah, thank you. And it is such a joy to be talking about it with you today because it's it's finally out. And, you know, it's been many, many years in the making. I like to tell people that I've spent the better part of the last three years actually you know, writing and crafting flux. So it, it predates wow. 2020. It predates the pandemic, even though people are like, oh, this is really helpful for <laughs> today. I'm like, it is. But you know what? I was thinking about this long before, and, and I'll come back to this later. But this notion of a world in flux, I think that 2020 was a wake up call. It was also, I think, a kind of warm up for the kinds of change, you know, I hope it's not a pandemic again anytime soon, but the kinds of constant, relentless change that we're going to be grappling with individually, organizationally, societally, you know, for quite some time to come. But yeah, so the book itself, and and I'm glad I could share the experience I had at, at age 20, because that that really was, I think, my entry <laughs> into mm-hmm. a world in flux. Although at that point, I would have never told you that I was going to write a book about it never and also to be clear the book isn't it isn't about me but my story and some of my anecdotes are a through thread as we kind of navigate our way through the different the eight superpowers and and so forth but i'm also yes. bringing i'm also bringing a a very global perspective so my whole career has been very much international and and i look at a lot of the different ways that cultures over the years and throughout history have dealt with change think about change talk about change what they believe about change and that's been a really rich and fruitful journey but also piece of the book and then more recently a lot of people think of me today as a kind of futurist i'm looking at where is the world heading and and how does your organization or your situation fit into it and so there's also this angle of kind of like societally or for your organization. What do we think about how do we approach a world in flux? So I bring this up because there's kind of the very human piece. There's a very global culture piece. There's also a kind of business angle to this world in flux. But the core concept that it wraps around is this notion of a flux mindset. And more to the point. The book is about how do we as individuals reshape and recraft our relationship to change to be fit for a world in flux so that we navigate all kinds of change better because one thing I have learned in my you know in the past 25 plus years of researching this space as well as living it and and so forth Is that every single individual, every single organization, every single culture, everyone struggles with some parts of change. Now, not necessarily in the same way, but we all, we are able to adapt when our back is against the wall and we're forced to. That's not a very nice way to learn how to change. (laughs) Yes, Um, but sometimes the only one. Well, it is, and yet... There is actually a whole lot that we can do as humans to improve how we relate to change. And so the way that I define a flux mindset is the ability to continuously see all change. So here, good change, bad change, change you expected, change that was unwelcomed, change that blindsided you change that makes you happy, all kinds of change. It's the ability to see all change consistently as an opportunity, not a threat, and also to be able to harness its silver linings. And that silver linings piece is is key because I think a lot of people, when we look back on times of great change, we see that's when we grow. But when we think about change in the moment or a change that's going to happen, a lot of times it makes us fearful and anxious. And what are we going to do? We get paralyzed. There's a lot we can do to actually take agency for how we relate to change into our own hands and do a much better job of it moving forward. And I think my the meta message is we all are going to have to do this. Not only should we, we're going to have to, and we should embrace doing so joyfully because the future, the future is not more certain. It's not more stable. It's not more known. The future is more uncertain. It's more unpredictable. It's more flux. And so I kind of think like we're being dealt a once in a lifetime, once in a century, I don't know what, but a a once in a lifetime opportunity to really level up and relate to all change better. And that, to me, is incredibly exciting. How, April,
1: are you suggesting that we are changing our mindset about change itself? You said it does require agency and probably also curiosity, right? But as you know, human beings are very, very resistant to change unless they have to. So what is your formula to incentivize or encourage or push us to change our mindset about change and really go to the next level? Yeah,
0: great question. So the word flux, I love this. It's both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it means continuous change. That's how I think a lot of people have heard about it first. But as a verb... To flux means to learn to become fluid. So part of how I like to phrase what we're talking about today is that, you know, the world is in flux, but we all need to learn how to flux, how to be more fluid, more, and you know, you hear agile, you hear resilience, you hear adaptable, but it's really, I like to call it more fluxy. So it's both a noun and a verb, but also what I often hear people say is, When it comes to change, humans love change. We hate being changed. We love changes that we opt into, right? A new relationship, a new adventure, a new job, right? That kind of change is easy, but there's a whole bunch of change. We really struggle with the changes that we can't control, the things that are unexpected, the things that disrupt our plans, right? That's the change we resist. We pretend it's not happening. We fight it. That's the kind of change that shows up in flux. That's the kind of change, you know, I very much hope that we have a lot more change coming our way that's the kind that we opt into for sure, but I know that there's going to be a lot more change we don't opt into that's coming our way, and so how do we groove that mental muscle, and I think there are a couple places where I start. I mean, yes, it's true that humans are resistant, but I do think also that humans right now, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, but this sense, humans are in a lot of pain right now. There's a lot of, and it's everything from anxiety and burnout and depression and mental health challenges. It's concerns about the existential, you know, existential concerns about the future of our planet. It's concerns about what my career is going to look like, what my bank account looks like. I mean, it's all this stuff. And so much of that, though, does go back to our relationship to change. And so I sense, and this is where 2020 was for me. For me, my book wasn't about 2020. It doesn't date back to then. But it was an incredible accelerant for my ideas because I think a lot of people are acknowledging that they're not actually satisfied with the life they're living. They know they can do better. And they know that a lot of that has to do with how they react and respond to change. So one of the things, yeah, that I found most interesting about my own research is how few people actually have given thought to their relationship to change. So the first step is actually profoundly simple. <laughs> like, have you thought about yours? What delights you? What really derails you? What things do you struggle with? And, you know, sort of doing almost like a, an assessment or what I call your flux baseline of getting to know your relationship to change. Because then what you discover is there are certain things you're, you're probably really good at and other things that you're not. Let's focus on the things that you aren't with the promise of actually being much more flux and future ready as a human. And that's a strong incentive to people. So I think, you know, the basic, the beginning is actually quite simple. And it relates to self-awareness and it relates to understanding how you relate to change today. But I've continually been really surprised at how few people are actually that clear on it on day one.
1: Let's go still a level deeper into your book, April. What are the key takeaways the
0: reader has after having read your book? Sure. So I'll start big. And then if you want to d- dive into any, uh, any of the themes more specifically. Yes. So yes. one of the ways that I like to put it is like when everything, or at least almost everything, when, when everything is in flux, everything can benefit from a flux mindset. So there's a nice attraction because here we could be thinking about a change in your schedule, that disrupts plans. We could be thinking about a change in that you lost a job or, you know, family members' health has changed. I mean, all kinds of different changes here, but all of them come back to this flux mindset and these flux superpowers. So the big takeaway is like this promise that like this can help on so many levels. And I don't want to sound like I'm too much like on a soapbox, but there is just... Immense value everywhere you look from reshaping our relationship to change to be fit for a world in flux. From a shift from this belief that somehow change will pass or that humans can control what happens into a much more fluid understanding and appreciation that, you know, and and I know this, this will probably upset some people listening. But at the end of the day, neither you nor I nor anyone can control what happens. We can only control how we respond. We can't control which future plays out, but we can control whether and how we contribute to a future we'd like to see. And even just this this ability to let go, and and this is one of the eights flux superpowers but what you find is for a lot of people it sounds really scary at the beginning like let go no that's that's giving up that's failing and what I'm saying is no actually if you can let go what I say let go of the future in order to let a better future emerge in order to provide space and oxygen for things you've never imagined to come about that might actually be the best thing, better than what you could possibly imagine, that's a fabulous, fabulous thing. So just that right there, it's quite counterintuitive. Some people call it contrarian. And I like to mention this because each of the eight flux superpowers is counterintuitive in some way. It is contrarian in many ways in terms of what society has taught us about change. But the premise that I keep coming back to is that a lot of what we've been taught about change and the world and our ability to navigate it, a lot of what we've been taught is, I'm not going to say it's wrong, it's outdated we are deluding ourselves, I think, left, right, and center when it comes to what we actually can control and predict and command and achieve and all of that. And I don't mean we shouldn't strive for to achieve good things in the world, but we are getting twisted up like pretzels as humans in this world in our relentless quest to run ever faster, to keep up, to acquire and be and have and do ever more, 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 more. Again, this belief that we, can connect, that we can control what's going on. And so the superpowers start to unpack a lot of those beliefs that are either outdated or, you know, could use some help themselves. And so I can run through, I don't know if you want me to run through the eight superpowers briefly or dive into hmm. one or two. I would like to know maybe... If you have a
1: specific approach or methodology or actionable points even, how people can overcome their fear of change? Because that's exactly what mostly holds us back, or at least anxiety, to embrace the change the way you are suggesting. So are you also suggesting something, how to just overcome this uh, feeling of uncertainty
0: that is
1: based on fear?
0: Yeah, I am. And, And this is actually a great segue or opening to talk about a bit more about the book's structure and what it offers, because the way I like to tee this up is that no two people's relationships to change are the same, because no two people's life experiences are the same. Right. So a change that you might be really fearful of might be really easy for me. And a change that I'm really fearful of might be really easy for you. And this relates. So so I say this because there's not, this is not a kind of one size fits all or a quick fix, so to speak. But in the book, the, the book is designed, it's written, created, you could say, to be very interactive, very reader friendly. And throughout the book, you have series of questions and some exercises and call-out boxes and like all of these things that are designed for you to use and engage with the book in a way that helps you get clearer about your relationship to change, which in turn helps reduce or allay that fear, Right. But what's hard for me to do is say, oh, there's one kind of fear about one kind of change because everyone's different on that metric. And it's funny, even something as simple as moving a lot. Let's say that you had to move your house every year, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, this is terrifying. People who have grown up in one town or, you know, come from a long-standing like, generations in the same place, the idea of moving every year is, is not something they want to think about. For other families, other people, and again, this is how you're raised, you moved a lot as a kid. You may like it or not like it, but it doesn't scare you. That's for sure. You're kind of like, ah, another move. Okay. That's just one example of how differently it can play out. Now, more broadly, what I want to surface here is how our relationships to change get formed. And a lot of it goes back to what I call our scripts so like a movie script our scripts our scripts are the narratives and stories and norms by which we live our lives and they largely describe the world we expect to live in so if i do x then y should happen and Every person's script is different because, again, your life experience is is different. But for the most part, our scripts are really, really clear. And our scripts describe the world we expect to live in, and they begin young. And so your script is a product of where you were raised, at what point in time, in history, by whom, around whom, with access to what or not access to what your place in society, your privilege or perceived privilege or perceived lack of privilege, all these things factor into your script, right? That shapes how you think about change. Do you see change from a place of hope or fear? As a child, were you taught that uncertainty was dangerous or was it an adventure for your curiosity? When change hit, and here I say your family, but whatever environment you grew up in, when change happened in your childhood was it generally a good thing an exciting thing a kind of like wow let's look forward to this or was it a disruptive thing that you know that that really harmed your family right all of these things play into our scripts the challenge we face and this is one thing I can sort of you know at the risk of generalizing a little bit across the board a lot of people I would even say almost everyone's script in some way today is fraying. What's happening is regardless of the script that you grew up with, you're starting, we're collectively starting to realize, wow, the world that we thought we were going to live in looks really different (laughs) than the world that we see today, right? So right there is our signal that each person probably needs to improve their relationship change in different ways, but we all need to do it. And so, The book is designed to guide each person through that. And in the process, though, key is exactly what you talked about, doing so in a way that helps reduce our fears and anxieties and ideally helps them go away entirely.
1: April, Uh oh my God, thank you so much for being my guest on before it's too late today. And I truly wish your book all the success it deserves. I wish everybody reads your book because everybody needs a strong and positive relationship to change thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful thoughts thank you
0: so much christiana i'm just delighted to be here with you all today thank you
1: i really enjoyed this profound conversation and i hope you did too for more episodes of before it's too late make sure to subscribe if this episode spoke to you Consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.